1: Glad you're here in the Lord's house. This is a great time of year. Uh, Today is Palm Sunday. All across America, churches and Christians are gathering to celebrate, uh, to go in what is the greatest week in all of Christianity, Uh, Palm Sunday, which leads leads us into Easter Sunday, obviously next Sunday, and uh, everything that transpires in this week. I'm always challenged on Palm Sunday on what I should be preaching on. Because uh, you kind of get one shot and then we have the rest of the week and there's so much that transpired and so much that happened uh, but on that Palm Sunday if you remember Jesus came riding in the crowds were expecting him to come riding in on a stallion right what did he come riding in on a donkey why is that you think a very humble animal right and uh, Jesus came humbly in. Uh, The crowds, as they gathered that day, were expecting him to come in and set up a political reign and be the political king of the people, right? Ruling reign now. But his kingdom had not come. He was still and is still the king, right? Uh, But his kingdom, he is the king over a different kingdom, not just a political kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God, right? And uh, so we're certainly looking forward to seeing him one day and living in that kingdom But really the main reason he came was to die, to die on the cross. And if we miss that message, we've kind of missed everything about this what we call Holy Week or this amazing week as it unfolds. So today I'm going to unpack a little bit of uh, John's Gospel, chapter number 19. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there as we talk some about the crucifixion and a little bit of what was leading up to that. Uh, John's Gospel is different than the Synoptic Gospels. Uh, the Synoptic Gospels are going to be Matthew, Mark, and Luke because they're very similar. John's Gospel stands pretty much on its own. And what it is doing, it's portraying Jesus as the King, the Son of God, the King of the world. And, um, and you can see the differences in John's Gospels versus the other Gospels. So today I want to just read... As we get into this message, and I've got a lot to do between now and the end of the service, I've got a message I want to try to share with you. I want us to celebrate together communion, which takes a little bit of time to serve that and, uh, and go through that. But I think today's a great Sunday uh, to do that. Appreciate Miss Connie bringing in our palm branches. It adds just wonderful beauty to our, our Lord's table up here. So thank you, Connie, for, uh, for being very thoughtful and bringing those in today. But what a great week. What an exciting week it is, right? And so I hope your anticipation is building in your heart and in your life uh, as we kind of do a self-evaluation of our own self and then as we think about all that Jesus did for us. And that's really what I want you to focus on today as I share a little bit as we continue this series on the portraits of Jesus, which, by the way, I'm going to continue through Easter and probably a couple weeks after Easter. And, of course, you know the portrait, the snapshot I'm going to focus on next week, right? The risen Savior, right? The resurrection. But there's going to be also more than that as well that we're going to focus on in the next couple of weeks to come. Uh, and we'll start taking a few more snapshots out of the Gospel of John uh, and just focusing on some of the things that we see in the life of Jesus Christ. So today I want to begin simply by just reading to you. Now, Typically, my default Bible, uh, whenever I'm on the platform, I use the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Uh, But this week in my study, I've I've just been, I've gleaned out of many different translations and read many different ones. Uh, I usually always start with the King James Version and work my way to a more modern translation just to get a good understanding of exactly what is transpiring and what is happening but then the last uh, several days, I've just been reading out of the message, the paraphrase translation. So today, I want to read to you out of John chapter 19. And I'm going to be reading out of the message. And I believe I have that passage of scripture up there for you. Uh, so you'll be able to follow along with me. But let's read this, and uh, let's kind of glean and kind of let the words sink in a little as we unpack a little bit of John chapter 19. It says, So Pilate took Jesus and had him whipped. And the soldiers, having braided a crown from thorns, set it on his head and threw a purple robe over him and approached him with, hail, king of the Jews. And then they greeted him with slaps in the face. And Pilate went out again and said to them, I present him to you, but I want you to know that I do not find any guilt or find him guilty of any crime. Just then Jesus came out wearing the thorn crown and the purple robe Can you think about humiliating this had to be for Jesus, knowing that he is the son of God, knowing that he is the king of kings and Lord of lords, knowing that any time he could call down 12 legions of angels to destroy everyone, knowing with the sound of his voice, he could put to silence the crowds that are there and the mockery that's taking place. I want you to realize this is Jesus. This is the son of God. This is God incarnate in the flesh that has full authority to do whatever it is that he pleases to do. I want you to see how he willingly gave his life. I want you to see how he sacrificially stood in your place in mine and went through all of this just so we could have a hope of heaven one day. Amazing, is it not? Absolutely amazing. Pilate announced, Here he is, the man. And when the high priests and the police saw him, they shouted in a frenzy Crucify! Crucify! And Pilate told them, You take him, you crucify him. You see, <laughs> Pilate really didn't want anything to do with this, right? He's trying to do everything in his power to overturn this verdict that the crowd has quickly jumped on and simply to crucify Jesus. And Pilate told them, you take him, you crucify him. I find nothing wrong with him. And the Jews answered, we have a law. And by that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. And when Pilate heard this, he became even more afraid or more scared. And he went back into the palace and said to Jesus, where did you come from? What a great question, right? I'd love to unpack that one, but we've got, we've got a lot to do today. Jesus gave no answer. Pilate said, you won't talk? Get this now. Don't you know that I have the authority to pardon you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus said, he's going to speak up now, he says this. You haven't a shred of authority over me, except what has been given you from heaven. That's why the one who betrayed me to you has committed a far greater fault. And at this, Pilate tried his best to pardon him, but the Jews shouted him down. If you pardon this man, you're no friend of Caesar's. And anyone setting himself up as king defies Caesar. And when Pilate heard those words, he led Jesus outside and he sat down at the judgment seat in the area designated Stone Court in the Hebrew Gabbatha. And it was the preparation day for Passover. The hour was noon. And Pilate said to the Jews, here is your king. And they shouted back, get this now. What a calloused group of people. What a hardened, calloused, self-centered, prideful group of religious leaders in that crowd that day. They shouted back, kill him, kill him, crucify him. Pilate said, I am to crucify your king. And the high priest, which is the religious leader of the day, the high priest answered, we have no king except what? Caesar. Caesar. And Pilate caved in to their demand, and he turned him over to be crucified. They took Jesus away, carrying his cross, and Jesus went out to the place called Skull Hill. The name in Hebrew is Golgotha. And when they crucified him, And with him, two others, one on each side, Jesus in the middle. Pilate wrote a sign and had it placed on the cross, and it said, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. And many of the Jews read the sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was right next to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Latin and Greek. And the Jewish high priest objected. Don't write, they said to Pilate, the king of the Jews. Make it, this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. And when they crucified him, the Roman soldiers took his clothes and divided them up four ways to each soldier a fourth. But his robe was seamless, a single piece of weaving. So they said to each other, let's not tear it up. Let's throw dice to see who gets it. This confirmed the scripture that said they divided up the clothes among them and threw dice for my coat. The soldiers validated the scriptures. And while the soldiers were looking after themselves, Jesus' mother, his aunt, and Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, stood at the front of the cross. And Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved. Now pay attention to that phrase. Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing near her. Who is this disciple that he loved? It was John, right? Who is writing this? It is John, right? He's almost written in third person here, but as a matter of fact, that's a great study. If you ever want to dig out a good study, that's a great study. You'll find that phrase only mentioned in the Gospel of John. You won't find that in Matthew, Mark, nor will you find that phrase in Luke. You'll only find it in the Gospel of John, and you'll find it six different times in the Gospel of John whenever he makes reference about the disciple whom Jesus loved. I just thought that was a unique little nugget that I'd pulled out of my study I wanted to share with you. And he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. And then to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that moment, the disciple accepted her as his own mother. And Jesus, seeing that everything had been completed, so that the scripture record might also be complete, then said, I am thirsty. Now put your thumb in your Bible right there, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to jump back in verse number 28 or so, or verse number 29 and so, and continue reading. But I want you to look over in John chapter 21. In verse number 24. We're coming to the end of Jesus' life, right? Uh, the three and a half years of public ministry that he had. He's about 33 and a half years old at this time. If you use if you're counting his fleshly incarnate years, he is eternity old, right? Past and future. Uh, he is God, but in the flesh, he is Jesus. But I want you to look in, in John 21. In verse number 24 and 25, the last two verses of Scripture, I don't have this reference, Phil. Uh, but I want you to look what it says. It says, this is the same disciple. Now, it's ta- this, who's writing this? John. Now, I want you to listen to what John is pinning down in Scripture, in the Gospel of John, chapter 21 and verse number 24. He says, this is the same disciple who was eyewitness to all these things and wrote them down. So there's the scripture reference that tells us who is writing these things down. It's John. And all who know that his eyewitness account is reliable and accurate. So here's what I want you to know about scripture. It is reliable and it is accurate. Amen? But I want you to look at the last verse. I think this verse is exciting. There are so many other things. Everybody say other things you realize there's other things that Jesus did than what we just have recorded in Scripture. Whenever you go by and you look in this three and a half years of public ministry that Jesus did, it's amazing all that he did just by what we have written down in Scripture. Look what this verse says. There are so many other things that Jesus did that if they were all written down and each of them one by one, I can't imagine a world big enough to hold such a library of books. Isn't that amazing? All that Jesus, wouldn't you like to know, Jesus, what else did you do? Right. We read about the miracles. We read about the feeding of the five thousand. We read about the resurrection of Lazarus when Jesus said, come forth. We read about when he's standing on the sea and the storm is coming and he just quietly says, peace be still. And there was a calmness that took up. Isn't it amazing all the things that Jesus did that we know about? Think about all the things that we don't know about. You see, that's why heaven is also going to be a place of learning. Right. We don't know everything there is to know about Jesus, but one day we'll be able to sit by the river of life for a million and a half years or however long for eternity and just have a conversation with Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to reference what John referenced in John 21 and verse number 24 where he made the reference, there are many other things that you did and if they were written, the world is not large enough to contain the library of books that would have been scribed and pinned down From what you did. Jesus, what else did you do? (laughs) Woo, that'd make a great sermon right there, would it not? Think about what else did you do, Jesus? I mean, as if you did not do enough. But he did a lot more. And if they were written down, Scripture says, the world's not large enough to contain the library of books that would be written about what else? Jesus did. I find that fascinating. Right? I mean, we could say, we could close out service. Let's go home. That's good stuff. Right? Go home and think on that all week long. What else, Jesus, did you do? Well, that's one of the things that's going to make heaven so great. We get to ask him that question. And we get to sit and talk about that for all eternity. And hear what else he did. So I just want to throw that. That's a nugget. It has nothing to do with my sermon where I'm going today. But I want to throw that out there. I Man, it's good stuff. You get in here and start. This book is alive. Right? It's exciting when you get in there and start reading it. Okay, let's go back. Let's go back. In John 19. Where was it? What verse was it on? Somebody help me here. Verse 29. A jug of sour wine was standing by, and someone put a sponge soaked with the wine on a javelin, lifted it to his mouth, and after he took the wine, Jesus said, get this, (laughs) here's another nugget, it is done, complete, in the Greek, it is tetelestai, I'm going to unpack that in just a moment, I notice that Jesus did not say, he did not say, I am done, because he wasn't done, His best moment was about three days away, right? (laughs) Hey, I mean, he changed all of history in about three days, right? Every non-believer, non-Christ follower that's out there, every agnostic that's out there, every unbeliever that is out there, every time they look at their watch or look at their smartphone and they see the date, March, what is it, 25, 2018, you know, that goes all the way back to the resurrection date when Jesus Changed history and time as we know it. Right? I like that. To it—not I am finished. It is finished. What is the it? I'm not sure. I'll get there today. I may have to come back and unpack this next week. But man, that's good stuff. Then the Jews, since it was the day of the Sabbath preparation, and so the bodies wouldn't stay on the crosses over the Sabbath, and it was high holy day that year, petitioned Pilate that their legs be broken to speed the death, and the bodies taken down. So the soldiers came, and they broke the legs of the first man, crucified with Jesus, and then the other. But notice, when they got to Jesus, they saw that he had already died. So they did not break his legs. And one of the soldiers stabbed him in the side with a spear, and blood and water gushed out. And the eyewitness to these things has presented an accurate report. He saw it himself and is telling the truth so that you also will what? Believe. You know the whole reason of John writing the gospel is so that you would believe. I like how he's writing somewhat in third person here. The one that was the eyewitness, the one who saw all these things the one who is accurate in what I am recording, has written this down so that you could be religious? No. So that you could have deep theological words and expressions to influence people with? No. So that you could be somewhat of a religious Pharisee and be above others that are unbelievers? No, just simply so you would believe. I like that. These things that happen confirm the scripture. Now get this, not a bone in his body was broken. And the other scripture that reads, they will stare at the one whom they have pierced. So everything that is transpiring here is fulfilling scripture. A lot of it in the Old Testament. Now here's something you need to know. Jot this down. It's not in your sermon notes. But you need to know this. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Now get that. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. There's metaphors, there's figures, there's analogies, there's different things. They all point to the person of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament, and one of the best studies, biblical studies you can ever have, is to go into the Old Testament and look for portraits of Jesus in the Old Testament. They are there, my friends. Matter of fact, this portraits and snapshots of Jesus sermon series that I'm doing could go from now and probably a couple of years because you could go all the way back in the Old Testament and you'll see Christophanes and you'll see different pictures of Jesus and metaphors of Jesus back in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. It's not one or the other. It's both and. They both are the full canon of Scripture. Not my last name, Canon. I'm not that vain, right? C-A-N-O-N, the full conglomeration of the Word of God brought together. It's the Word of God brought together. These things that happen confirm the Scripture. Verse 38. After all of this, Joseph of Arimathea. Now get this. This is more stuff to preach on and unpack and think about. When people say, I I just read the Bible and I don't get anything out of it. I'm like, how do you do that? How can you not get anything? I'm I'm just reading. I can't get past the reading of it without stopping and expounding some. It's amazing all that's here. Let me tell you why. Because the Word of God, it says in Corinthians, and you know this, is what? Spiritually discerned. You see, the Holy Spirit who led John is the same Holy Spirit that lives in us as believers. And we have the author of the book living in us. And part of the job of the Holy Spirit, according to John 14, 15, and 16, is to illuminate the Word of God so that we have understanding of what's taking place whenever we read it. Have you ever read a great book? Right now the Men's Small Group is doing a, uh, a study on the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership with John Maxwell. And as you go and you read the, uh, the books and the writings of John Maxwell, I don't know about you, but every time I'm reading that, I think, man, I would love to sit down with John Maxwell one-on-one and just spend some time talking because of what he's writing is so great. Do you guys, do you realize the author of the book that I'm holding that we call the Bible, the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God, do you realize the author of that book lives within you? The author of the book. You want to know anything about it? Ask him. You have access to the author 24-7, 365, any time of the day or night. You can say, Lord, what does that mean? And the Holy Spirit's job is to illuminate, to bring delight, to help you have understanding of what has been penned down here. Okay? There's a lot of things that hinder that, and I won't go and unpack all of that, but that's another message in and of itself. I don't know how in the world people say they call to preach, they don't know what to preach. Really? You know, you give me somebody that says, oh, I've been called to preach, but I don't know what to preach. I'm not, well, not, uh, I question the calling, and maybe first of all, and secondly, what are you reading, son? Hello? If you're reading, oh, let me get off on a tangent here. I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent. If you're reading the word of God, you've got plenty to preach. Are you with me? All right, let me continue. Where was I? Verse 38. I'm not going to get into this message if I don't get through the reading of this. I was afraid I'd get hung up here. I told myself, oh, just read it, John. Just read it. I can't. I I really can't. I apologize. I got to put it under the light because I really can't read it. (laughs) That's why I have my tablet. I used 18 font size on my tablet. No problem reading that. This is a little bit small, right? So let me go here. Verse 38. After all this, y'all stop laughing. It's called getting old, right? I have those no-line progressive bifocals. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So you got point. You know you got pointy nose, right? Does anybody have a clue what I'm talking about? All right, point the nose. Here we go. After all this, Joseph of Arimathea. His, he was a disciple of Jesus. Now get this. Here's where I got hung up. He was a disciple of Jesus. What's the next phrase? But what? Secretly. I wonder how many secret disciples we have in church today. I wonder how many secret Christ followers we have on the job today. I wonder how many are afraid to say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ today. Joseph of Arimathea was a great man. He was a good man. He's mentioned in Scripture. He did a noble thing. The Scripture says he was a secret disciple. Right? I think the church today has a lot of secret disciples running around. Don't be that person. Stand up for Jesus, right? Let everybody know you're a Christian. Don't be ashamed of that today. And I know, really, I, I, really, I understand. I know it's not politically correct today to say that I'm a, I'm a Christ follower. I know it's not politically correct today to say that I believe in John 14, 6. Do you know what it says? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. There's some divine authority in that verse. There are some divine imperatives in that verse. He did not say, I am a way. He said, I am the way. The truth. You want truth? You're only going to find it in Jesus. I don't care what other religions are out there and what they may claim. Listen, Jesus is the only one in any religion that had brought himself back from death. Are you with me? You can go visit the leaders of other religions and you'll visit their tomb or their graveside or what, and they can build it as beautiful as they want to build it, but I'm telling you, they're still there buried. Are you with me? You can go see where Jesus laid. Matter of fact, it was a brand new tomb, but it was a, just a, I just need this for a little while, boys. Just go ahead and lay me there. You can use it again later. I'm just going to need it for a couple days. A few days, actually. I'm just going to be there. I ain't staying here. You can seal it up. You can put a stone, a stone over it, and, and you can put guards all around. That's not going to stop me. Why? Because I am the son of God. I am Jesus. Amen? Man, I love that. What authority he has. Did Pilate have the authority to crucify? Mm -mm. Jesus said, I have the authority to lay my life down. And if I have the authority to lay my life down, I do have the authority to what? Bring it back up. I love that. Let's get back to the secret disciple. Okay. Let me find myself. Here we are, the disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he was intimidated by the Jews. Uh, I, I got to move on. Go, move on, John. Petitioned Pilate to take the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave permission, so Joseph came and took the body. And Nicodemus, who had first come to Jesus at night, came now in broad daylight. Isn't that ironic? He first comes to Jesus at night. Why? Because he also was intimidated the crowds peer pressure but now he knows this is Jesus and he comes now by the daylight carrying a mixture of myrrh and aloes about 75 pounds and they took Jesus' body and following the Jewish burial custom wrapped it in linen with the spices and there was a garden near the place he was crucified and in the garden a new tomb get that new tomb in which no one had yet been placed and so because it was Sabbath preparation for the Jews and the tomb was convenient. They placed Jesus in it. Wow. What an amazing chapter. Did you enjoy that? Isn't it amazing? Now, I just want to ask you a question. Are you spending time reading God's Word? Just read it. Just read it. You say, I don't understand it. Ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate it. To make it come alive. Man, there's so much there, and we're getting too late here. I want to try to share a couple things with you here, okay? And I'm going to hit these really quickly. I want you to jot them down because I want to get to one part of the of the message today that I want to unpack, and that's a little bit of the Tetelestai word. I want to talk about the crowd that is there. So jot these references down really quick. Um, if you miss some of this, I will top up a blog and put it on there and send it out so you can get some of the notes that I have here. I'm not going to have time to unpack all of this, okay? But as we look at Jesus, there's three things that I want us to see. This snapshot of Jesus, the crucified king, there's a few things that I want you to see. The first thing, I want you to see the king condemned, Okay this king, Jesus, that was crucified, was condemned. I want you to pay attention to the crowd. Now I have about five or six blanks there for you to fill in. The first one is the ruthless men that are there. That's the soldiers. That's these hardened, callous men that are there. These are the ones that had beaten him already, that had slapped him and mocked him and beat him with the cat of nine tails. These were men that were cruel to Jesus and they nailed him to the cross. They gambled for his garments. I want you to know that they were directly responsible for the death of Jesus. But not only the ruthless men, the second one I want you to write down are the religious men. Notice I'm putting this thing in a little bit of fast forward. Okay, so just jot them down real quick. I want to get to one part and park a little bit. Then we're going to have communion. The religious men were there. They were also directly responsible for the death of Jesus. These were the chief scribes. These were the Pharisees. These were the religious slash political leaders of the day that were more concerned. Concerned about their position in society than they were their relationship with the Son of God. And friends, we will get in trouble whenever we're ever more concerned about our position in a, in society than we are our relationship with the Son of God. Amen. I can't preach on that anymore. The religious men were there. The ruling men were there as well. The ruling men. Who am I talking about? I'm Talking about Pilate, who so wanted to pardon Jesus. Man, he did not want to put him on the cross. There was also Herod, all these mock trials that were taking place. What I want you to see, that these men also were directly responsible for crucifying our king. But there was another group of men called the rebellious men. Now who are these rebellious men? These were the two thieves that were nailed on each side of Jesus as he was nailed on the cross. We're calling these the rebellious men. We see that in chapter 19 and verse number 18. Now they're both ridiculing him. Yes, one does come to the realization that this is the Son of God, but they're both up there. I want you to know that these rebellious men are also directly responsible for killing Jesus and placing him On the cross, there's another group of people that are out there, and we see them in Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, 21 through 23. These are the riotous men. What I mean by that? These are the ones. Have you ever seen a gathering of people in a riot? I mean, the first time they gathered together, they're there singing Hosanna and laying down palm branches as Jesus is waltzing in, if you will. They're expecting him to come in on a stallion. He comes in on a donkey, very humble, but they're expecting him to be their political king. And so they're there with the crowd, laying down their garments, expecting him. Part of that same crowd is there today when Jesus is being crucified. And I call this the rioting crowd. Just Doing whatever the crowd is doing. It's amazing how we see that all through society today, right? (laughs) I won't get on too much of a political tangent here. But I watched a group gather together. Protesting against something. And then I watched a reporter put a microphone in their face and say, Exactly what is it that you're against? And they couldn't even answer the reporter. But hey, we're against it. We're with the crowd. We're against it. Would you please tell us? Here's your chance. You have the whole world listening right now. Here's the microphone. Tell us exactly what it is that you're against. Uh, We're just against it. Right? That's a rioting crowd. Okay? The same thing happened here. They were there one time laying down palm branches and taking off their garments and putting them down to pave the pathway, if you will, for Jesus to come and set up his political reign, if you will. But yet we find that same crowd also gathered together watching them crucify. And now involved in the chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They probably don't have a clue all that's really going on. But I want you to know they too are directly responsible for the death of Jesus on the cross. Now, hold on, time out. Before we are too judgmental on all these other groups of people... That are responsible directly for the death of Jesus. I want you to know there's a, another group of men just called the regular men. That's us. That's you. That's me. We too are directly responsible for the death of Jesus. Why? Because scripture says he came to die for our sin. Scripture says in Isaiah 53 that God the Father laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity or the sin of us all. Jesus came to fulfill the wonderful, amazing plan of salvation that was put in motion before the foundation of the earth was ever laid. This wasn't an uh uh-oh, we're in trouble now moment for Jesus. Are you with me? This did not take Jesus, nor did it take God by surprise what was taking place. This was the plan. Are you with me? So they're regular men. So I want you to understand that you and I both are responsible directly for the death of Jesus on the cross. I want you also to look at the crucified king. Now, I'm not going to have time to really unpack all of this. But can you imagine the crucifixion? Can you imagine after he had been beaten and the scripture says in the old testament that he was so marred after the beating that you could not even tell it was a man his 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 intestines his and I'm not a, I'm not a medical person I'm not a blood person When Brad dislocated his shoulder Playing first base And I was pitching for our church softball team And Tracy Lauderdale is massaging it And putting it back in joint I go over there to see what's wrong with Brad And Tracy, oh his shoulder's out of joint I'm I'm going to third base I went over to third base And I just prayed Let me know when you're done Pop, pop, everything's good Okay, now I'm back on the scene So I'm not a medical person, okay So I don't know all the medical jargon I, I just don't, I don't like to look at pictures you know, my my kids and my wife my family, they're all crazy. They'll look at this stuff, and they'll look at these pictures, and they'll see these. And even Dave's going to have surgery, and he watched a YouTube video of a knee Why do you do that stuff, right? Right? You put those images in your brain, they never leave, so I don't even want to look at it. Right? I don't want to see it. So I'm really not in a good position to even really talk about the agony and the pain and all that was taking place and all that was that Jesus may have looked like whenever Scripture says that you cannot even tell it was a man, just a, a chunk of meat hanging on the cross. The portraits that we see today are so artistically beautifully designed. Now, yes, they do picture Jesus hanging there, but it really looked nothing like any picture you've ever seen. The only thing close to it, and how I many saw the the movie by, um, I forget his name, but it's called The Passion. Who, who's the guy that wrote it? Who? Mel Gibson, yeah, what, that's the only thing that's close. And that was, sometimes in that I had to just close my eyes. I just couldn't look at that. Right? I mean, it's just so, wow. Do you realize it was far worse than that? It was taking place. Crucifixion. The spikes driven through his hand and driven through his feet and you go back and you do some study on what was taking place in crucifixion and the only way that they could breathe were to stand and put pressure on the spike that was driven through their ankles to straighten out their knees to get air in their lungs so they could breathe and then it's suffocating again the pain got so excruciating that they had to release the pain with their knee the pressure from the spike in their feet and their hands and then push up again and that went on for hours until they slowly died the king was crucified. The pain on the cross was amazing. Can you imagine the pain and the agony that Jesus went through there on the cross? And I just want you to know He did that because He loves you. Amen? He did that because He loves you and He loves me. That's the pain, and there's a lot more I could read I got a section I can read, but I gotta move forward. I want you to see also the purpose. What's the purpose of the cross? Let me make this one short as well because I could spend 30 minutes on this. I just want you to know that the purpose of the cross was to redeem all of mankind. Not just a select few. I know there's some movements out there and theological views out there. It's called Calvinism, that there are some of those that are the elect, and they will be saved, and some of those that are not the elect, and they will be damned. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus died for the sins of the entire world. Everyone is potentially saved. You get that? What's the key? The key is if you will simply repent of your sins and trust the finished work of Calvary, what Jesus did on the cross, you too can be saved. Right. So the purpose of the cross is that while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us and demonstrated his love for us on the cross that we, too, could be saved. Amen. That's the purpose of the cross. Let's go a little further here. I want you to see. The king conquering here in chapter 19 of, verse of John's gospel, verse 30 down through verse number 42. I want to get to the phrase where he said, it is finished. This is the Greek word, tetelista. It is finished. Not I am finished, but it is finished. It's a cry of a victor. It is accomplished, right? victory has been won this is one by the way there's seven different cries on the cross that Jesus made that's a great study as well if you want to go and unpack all of those this is one of those cries on the cross that he vividly projects tetelestai it is finished now to get a better understanding of that word i believe i put in your notes and i think i've got all the blanks already filled in there there's several different ways that the word tetelestai us was used in the biblical days Okay. One way was a servant it was a servant's word, just simply saying that the task was and is finished. The servants would use it when they would finish a task to The priest would use the word telesta whenever they would look at a sacrificial lamb that was being brought to them, they would examine the lamb and they would see that the lamb or the sacrificial animal that was brought to them was found worthy to offer up for a sacrifice, then the priest would say telesta it is finished it was also a farmer's word whenever the farmer will be birthing an animal or assisting in the birth of an animal into his farm animals, if you will, and one would come forth and it would be a perfect specimen of its mother. He would say, Tetelestai, it is finished. The birth of this animal has come forth. It was also an artist's word that an artist would use once the drawing was rendered and the painting was complete and there was nothing else that could be done to make it more beautiful or more complete. The artist would step back and say, Tetelestai, it is finished. It's also a word that merchants would use. Now get this one. There was a bartering between. Between the merchant and, and the buyer, and, and they would be martyring back and forth, haggling out a deal, if you will, on purchasing an item. When they both would get to the place where both were satisfied, the merchant would then step back and say, Tatelestai, the bargaining is over, the deal has been completed, it is finished. What an appropriate word for Jesus to say while he's on the cross. When he's standing there hanging on the cross and after the suffering has been done, right before he bows his head and dies, he says, Tetelestai, it, not I, it is finished. The amazing plan of salvation that scripture tells us was put in motion and put in place before the foundations of the earth. It, that is finished. And he hung his head and died what an amazing word that word to tell us that's a little bit about the cry on the cross then there was the completion on the cross when he said it's finished and it's done then there was the continuation to where he went and he was laid in an empty tomb and buried there and as we know we're going to celebrate next week he came out victoriously now i said all that to say this i'm not sure i have this slide up there phil When faced, I think I do have in your notes, though. I want you to read this with me. Look at your notes. When faced with all that Jesus did for you on the cross, can you honestly say that you are living for him like you should? Let that sink in. Whenever we are faced with all that Jesus did on the cross, and guys, why don't you come and we'll prepare to serve communion. And band, you can come as well. Whenever you are faced with all that Jesus did, and oh, if I, I could preach on this for a solid hour more than what I've always already shared with you and probably not repeat anything. It's amazing all that Jesus did for us. But whenever we are faced with all that Jesus has done for us, the question is, Can we honestly say that we are living for him as we should? Well, I hope you can answer that question in the affirmative today. And if you look back at your life and and you think maybe you haven't been, now's the time to just say, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. I've been a secret disciple following from afar not willing to make a stand or be ridiculed by my peers. But realizing what you did for me today, right now, I'm just going to decide, you know, I've got to start living for you the way that I should. I've got to start standing for you when it's not popular. For all you did for me, surely I can live for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for our time together and the amazing gospel that we're able to unpack and read. The amazing story of the plan of salvation. Father, we thank you. Thank you that we are saved, that we have been redeemed, We have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb.
0: Well, thank you for joining us for this lesson from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with, or maybe you just want someone to talk to please call us at 618-622-9360 or you can email us at victoryfwb at gmail.com. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email, call, or send a request to 223 Scott Troy Road, O'Fallon, Illinois, 62269. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.